or how did you kind of reconcile going through that at a young age and then it coming back again at the age of 25? It, I was so mad. <laughs> I mean, it really rightfully sunk. so. Yeah, so I was actually 20, not 25. Okay. But I was a sophomore in college. Okay. And I had found it after my freshman year. So I had an MRI every summer, pretty much. Found it after my freshman year. And they're like, okay, so there's a thing in your head again. We need to take care of that. Uh, and I was like, oh, but I'm supposed to study abroad in the spring. Like, can I still do that? Can I do, like, the typical college experience? Um, I also had a girlfriend who was really great. Um, so I just wanted to – I was, again, more so concerned with, like, less concerned about the cancer, more concerned about the effects of the cancer and yeah. that, like, how it would affect me leading a quote-unquote normal life. Mm-hmm. I never truly realized just how expensive healthcare really was until I didn't have it. Electric bills and the cost of food have always been tangible costs with somewhat manageable solutions to me. Electric bills too high? Make sure to cut the lights off that you aren't using. Grocery bills too steep? Make sure to buy the generic stuff and catch those sales when you can. But when you're sick, you're sick. And unless you're completely insured by your employer, being able to afford quality health care can be a real problem. Hey, y'all. I'm Alexis, and welcome to First Year Project, a podcast sharing the stories behind the good, bad, and integral aspects of first year experiences. On today's episode, I talk with Melissa Obliata from the culture team at HubSpot about aspects of her journey with cancer, how she got her start at HubSpot, and the value in being patient with yourself. At the end of the episode, I also share some of your stories, thoughts, and concerns about healthcare that you submitted to First Year Project. Stay tuned. If you like the show, please make sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes as it helps First Year Project go up in the rankings and reach more people. If you're not familiar with how to do this, please visit firstyearproject.com slash review. A link will also be included in the show notes. So uh, the first question I would like to ask is, what do you do and why do you do it? That is a really good one. Oh, man, it's so tough. So for starters, I work at a software company, which is not like the coolest thing to say. Um, And I sort of work with not like customers, but our employees. Um, And I help make their work experiences better. Uh, I work on what we call the culture team at my company, and we're focused on changing the day-to-day experience and making sure people love the work they do and really enjoy coming to work every day. And that makes my day worth it. That's awesome. So not many um, companies that I know of or, or organizations have an entire team that's dedicated to culture. Uh, I mean, in, in many cases, they're connected with HR or it is HR. And that's kind of what they do here and there. But that's awesome that there is actually like a team ded- dedicated to culture as a whole. Totally. Um, so something that's sort of shifted in the way that people think about work is, I think maybe our parents or maybe our grandparents were like, it doesn't matter if I like my job, I just need to make that money, bring it home, be able to take care of my family. I know those things are very important to us, the ability to take care of ourselves and our loved ones, but also what matters more, people say to millennials, but I think it applies globally, it's, you know, do you, do you like what you do? 
is the work that you're doing, is it, does it seem worthwhile to you? Because we have to work for like 50 or so years of our lives. Isn't that crazy? It's nuts. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like thousands and thousands of hours. Yeah. If you worked continuously, um, I think that you the time that you work, if you did it all at once, it'd be like 10 full days or something, or 10 years. I That stat's wrong. I, I, I think it may be either 10,000 hours or 10 years. Well, 10,000 hours is like the... Yeah. Okay. I think it's like 90,000 hours. It may be. Math, work a lot. Way. Lots of work. For sure. <laughs> um, totally forgot the question. Um, no, we were just, I was just talking to you about what you do and why you do it, but I think you're right, explaining, right. yeah. Yeah. So, culture, which is like my team is a culture team. I work at a company called HubSpot, and we sort of recognize that, like, we started out as a tech startup, and mm -hmm. you, you see, like, that Facebook movie, whatever it was called, you hear about what it's like to work at Google, at Facebook, at Twitter. Like, their offices are so cool. They're all in San Francisco. They have, like, beanbag chairs and beer on tap. That's awesome. And that, like, adds to the culture of a company, but that's not, at the end of the day, what makes people stay somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, you can have a really terrible job, and then you it's like, if someone throws a six-pack at you, you're not going to go, like, oh, yeah, it's all better now. It's about how it feels, and we say it's about the people, not the perks. Um, so what my team does, we focus on so many different things because there are so many layers of what makes a good, um, employee experience, but we view that as a competitive advantage because if you hear that it's great to work at someplace like Facebook or like Google, um, or, you know, Apple, whatever, you want to work there. And we really want to make sure that we're getting the the best people, the coolest people, the smartest people in the door here, and we're we're making them feel that they are doing really important work, so that they stay here for as long as as long as it feels best for them. Great. Now, what um, kind of got you into this work? A trick. I got tricked into this. What? Please uh, share. I'm yeah, excited. <laughs> of course. Um, so I went to Emerson College, which is a school downtown in Boston. Um, and I graduated a semester early, uh, you know, AP credits, all those things. Definitely Very do nice. that if you're still in high school. Yes. To this. Saves, you, saves you some money. Um, so I graduated early and I thought, like, you know what? I'm going to have that extra time. I'm going to find jobs, apply to things, get, like, get an edge on the competition because I was getting out before my peers. I kind of didn't do that. I was working at, like, an Urban Outfitters in Faneuil Hall. I was folding clothes. I was working until, like, midnight i was going in again at like 7 a.m so i wasn't really like living up to what i thought i could do like with my college degree and all my plans for myself um so i got a text message one day from a friend of mine who i'd been really tight with in in college and he was like hey do you want a part-time job at hubspot which is the company that i work at now um and i was like wow i would i would love a part-time job um, just because I was sort of in this cycle of, like, folding clothes every day, working the checkout line, like, doing all those things, and I wanted to break it. Um, so I took that part-time job. It turns out it was an internship, but, like, totally cool. Why did he tell you it was a part-time job? I think he knew. I think he knew I was, like, a little bit too proud to take an internship mm. after graduating. Because by this point, I graduated in December of 2013. By this point, it was, like, September, so, like, a full nine, ten months later. Um so I think he just sort of wanted to, like, make me feel a little, a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of frame it and present it in a way that I would be more likely to say yes. And I did say yes. And then when I did find out as an internship, I was like, 
I'm already in this interview. I will not say no to you right now. <laughs> so you found out in the interview. Yeah, yeah. She was like, oh, and you know this is an internship, right? And I was like, it's such a cool place. I had to really not be so hard on myself. I think a lot of it was like, I can't be an intern. I already graduated. Like, um, But that was the wrong mindset to have. Um, so that's how I ended up here. I started interning on our public relations team. And then my boss eventually transitioned from leading our PR team to our culture team, which had never existed before. And I did leave for like two, three weeks. And then she asked me back um, to help like ramp up and set up the culture team. And then that's what I've been doing ever since. Very dope. I'm no longer an intern, though. I yes. am a full-time Full-time. Full-time. Yeah. Awesome. What was the transitional moment in your life? And how did you navigate through it? There are so many transitional points in my life. Uh... Oh, okay. So I'm queer. And I realized this in like the seventh grade. So I, was, I think I was 12 years old. And I always kind of knew I was different. But realizing, I think I just like Googled what it meant to be gay. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is me. What made you Google it? I don't even know. I think there was something on the news or something. And then I was like, oh, what does that mean? Or maybe someone called me that like as a joke. I don't really remember. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I knew what the term like gay or lesbian was, I think that was just like a, like my brain exploded. And I didn't really know. I didn't really know what to do. And also, yeah, I just had like so many feelings about it. So like, in thinking of that moment, what was the, I guess, mo most challenging aspect of growing up as queer and like understanding that that's who you were, but not necessarily like knowing, I guess, what that meant for you, like in, in seventh grade. Right. Yeah. Good question. So a little bit of backstory. My parents are immigrants. They came here from the Philippines in the mid to late 80s. Um, and what like something like 90 ish percent of the Filipino people are is very intensely Roman Catholic. Mm. Um, so when I came out to my parents eventually, which I did in the eighth grade when I was 13, um, it was just not okay for me to be gay. Uh, and for a while, it like really wasn't okay to be that in my household. Um, so I think that when I realized at 12 that I was not straight and I was what I perceived as like something that was wrong in God's eyes, um, it really caused me to dislike myself a lot. Um, and like people talk about, you know, being a teenager in high school, really like causing you to like reflect on yourself and come into your own. I feel like I realizing that I was queer at like a slightly younger age really made me, uh, I don't know, view myself as a different way. Like before that usual age of like introspection and self-awareness, mm. Um, and I was also very religious as well. And that was because I had cancer when I was 10. So my timeline is that like I had cancer when I was 10. My parents were like, we, our family very much like turned to church, to religion, to like the other Filipino Catholic families in our community mm -hmm. for support, for like prayer circles, for stuff like that. Um, and then I, you know, when I did come out, I was like, oh gosh, like, God's what cured my cancer, and now I'm gonna now get smited or something. Oh wow! Uh, so it was a really big uh, identity crisis at like a relatively young age. So how did you 
how did you get through that and, and kind of how has it impacted, I guess, how you view yourself right now? Um, so I had really thoughtful, caring friends. Um, That's awesome. And I had a really good group of friends. And granted, we were all like 13 and we didn't really know any better, but they were all just like super caring, super nurturing, very respectful of me. I also was like, lucky enough to find a girlfriend even though I was like a, a child um, and it was also a time when MySpace was really big which is embarrassing to say now but I did have an online community not embarrassing MySpace <laughs> was was important to the culture it was a it was alive and, and popping it was a really big important thing for me um, something I've always found is that the internet has um, really affected how I've sort of gone about finding out who I was. Ooh. Um, like, I was able to, quote-unquote, like, be myself on MySpace and say, like, I was gay, um, share photos of, like, me and my girlfriend, and then once MySpace died, rest in peace, um, <laughs> even though Justin Timberlake tried to revive that. It just, Did he? Yeah, he, he, like, bought it, tried to make it a music-sharing platform. I totally missed that. Yeah, you're not, you didn't really miss out on anything, <laughs> to be honest. Um... Even after MySpace, I also, like, vlogged. I did, like, video blogging on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I was part of two collaboration channels where, like, me and four other people I'd never met before um, made a video each week, uh, a video each day. So we each had, like, a day of the week that was ours. So that was a way for me to, like, take my experience and my feelings growing up as, like, a 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old in a household that wasn't wasn't unloving but was like very much against one aspect of who I was um to share my thoughts and feelings with other people very cool now earlier you mentioned that you had uh cancer um at, a, at around 10 can you talk a little bit more about that experience and kind of like how you navigated through that yeah totally so I've actually had cancer when I was or yeah so I had cancer when I was 10 and then I had it again when I was 20 oh my because goodness. life is funny like that um, and I think the most important thing that I got out of my cancer double dipping was that it's all about how you frame it. It's all about how you think about yourself. Um, it was a lot easier, weirdly enough, to have cancer when I was a kid. Because when you're 10, the biggest things on your mind are like, do I get to go to basketball practice? Do I get to see my friends after this? Mm. Um, so the reason I actually ended up going to school in Boston is because I went to the hospital in, in Boston when I was 10, and I, we had to come back every year. So I, I'm, like, very familiar with the city, or I was mm -hmm. when I was in playing schools. Um, but I did have to miss two months of fifth grade. So that was another time when I sort of, like, turned to technology to keep connections with my friends at home because that's when Instant Messenger was sort of, like, blossoming. Yes. Um so, yeah, I think there have been times when I've cried about it, um, both when I was 10 and when I was 20, but there have been more times when I've sort of, like, made jokes about it. Like, I think it's all about being able to, like, recognize the seriousness of it, but not have that weigh down on you too much, which is a, a big ask, but um, it's what, like, kept me from becoming, you know, depressed. Now, what or how did you kind of reconcile going through that at a young age and then it coming back again at the age of 25? 
It, I was so mad. <laughs> I mean, it really rightfully sucked. so. Yeah. So I was actually 20, not 25. Okay. But I was a sophomore in college. Okay. And I had found it after my freshman year. So I had an MRI every summer, pretty much. Found it after my freshman year. And they're like, okay, so there's a thing in your head again. We need to take care of that. Uh, and I was like, oh, but I'm supposed to study abroad in the spring. Like, can I still do that? Can I do, like, the typical college experience? Um, I also had a girlfriend who was really great. Um, so I just wanted to, I was again, more so concerned with like less concerned about the cancer, more concerned about the effects of the cancer and yeah. that, like, how it would affect me leading a quote unquote normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a kind of interesting, like minimizing way to look at it. Absolutely. Like I was supposed to go to Lollapalooza in Chicago, but I couldn't cause I had surgery the next summer. Uh, and I was like super upset, but it's weird because I was upset about not going to Lollapalooza and less upset about the fact that I had cancer again. Mm. So it's, I don't know, I think it's about framing. It's also, maybe I'm like disassociating from it, so who knows if that's even healthy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think it's it comes down to, to framing and I was really mad. I was really mad, but really mad about like not being able to do things that I thought I would do. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, how have those experiences kind of impacted maybe the work that you do or maybe like how you do your work? I think that my experiences being, I don't know, I think I have like a lot of facets to myself or like intersections in terms of identity. Like I'm a female, I am the daughter of immigrants, I am queer i am i already said immigrant so like i'm asian so like there's a there's a couple things going on there and i think that overall it's made me a more sensitive person and i think that that really helps me in my work in my day-to-day because i'm thinking about how other people feel and Mm -hmm. i think it's a lot easier for me to be empathetic and understand what other people might be thinking in certain situations if I've not necessarily even gone through the same thing as, as them, but I've experienced in my short 25 years here, actually I'm 24, what am I saying? <laughs> in my short 24 years alive, I felt like a pretty strong degree of like grief, anger, happiness, isolation, depression, elation, like a whole spectrum of emotions. Um, and I think that some people might not be able to connect with people as much um, and I think it's a lot easier for me to say, like, I can understand where Alexis is coming from. Um, maybe not because I've gone through the same thing as you, but because I can put myself in your shoes mentally and emotionally. That's very, very cool. Last question, and then we're going to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could give advice to anyone who is going through a transitional year. So understanding that transitional years can happen when you're young, when you're older, right? Everyone's kind of going through these phases of like first years or like transitional years. Um, what would you say? I would tell you to be patient with yourself. Um, change is hard, but and whether or not you chose to make that change, whether or not it's something that you had control over, Um, you don't have control of your situation, but you have control of yourself and how you frame these things. So be patient with yourself and remember that you are, you are strong, you are capable, you are smart. Um, and 
and you can do you can do anything and it sometimes it seems hard but nothing is insurmountable anything can be done if you break it down day by day minute by minute I remember having to make the call to secure my Medicaid benefits that last summer in New York City after my job's health benefits ended. And I'm glad that I did because after having amazing health insurance as an educator and still not seeing a doctor for about a year, I discovered that I had some unexpected health issues that needed to be taken care of. I wouldn't have been able to afford to put my health first without health insurance. And that should never be the case. Here are some of the stories that you all shared about your concerns with healthcare. A couple years ago, after moving back to Boston to start a new job, I had an unexpected health event that required me to go to weekly doctor's visits for about six to eight months or so. And those visits and the different tests I had cost several hundred dollars each time. And it really is no secret that America has the most costly healthcare system. So this unexpected occurrence would have absolutely jeopardized my financial security had I not had health insurance coverage. And these are the concerns that I think young people, young healthy people like myself, would never consider until we actually become patients ourselves. And that is exactly why having access to affordable, quality healthcare is so important. I think as millennials, we never expect that we will need to engage with the healthcare system as much. But when we do, my concern is always that I'll be able to do so in ways that protect me and facilitate my ability to thrive thereafter rather than burdening me and inhibiting my potential. So my number one concern is just affordable access to care. Um, I'm blessed enough to have health insurance through my job. So uh, I know a lot of people don't get that benefit or even with that quote unquote benefit can't afford to take advantage of it. So definitely grateful. Um, And with that, I think what bothers me about the current landscape is that, you know, like depending on what plan you have, you only have access to limited number of doctors, physicians, health resources. So um, that I think is messed up because I think, you know, like the inability to get a second opinion from the person you actually want to, the inability to be the driver of your own health care in the current landscape of the market is frustrating to me. Um, And then beyond that, probably like my biggest actual worry is uh, my parents' access to care, you know, as people who don't have access through their jobs, who are nearing retirement age, who are nearing the stage of life where a lot of chronic diseases pop up. Um, And then I guess kind of feeling helpless um, in a way of like how can I positively contribute to their care when it's so expensive and I can't it, I can't give them the ability to obtain insurance um, but I think what my most valuable takeaway has been is just how important this issue really is and how important affordable accessible quality health care is to facilitating the freedom that millennials especially value to pursue entrepreneurial endeavors outside the traditional workforce. I think healthcare through portable health benefits, like being able to get insurance outside of employer-based coverage and 
having faith in adequate patient protection so that women and people with pre-existing conditions are able to receive affordable care is the key to having independence um, so that millennials can continue to affect change in creative and unconventional ways. Um, so I'm always concerned that healthcare meets the needs of young people. And I think it's not only access, it's affordability and making sure that healthcare isn't a barrier to the next generation that is working to change our world in new and powerful ways. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, y'all. If you have thoughts you'd like to share about the episode or want to share your own moment of transition, make sure to drop me an email at firstyearprj at gmail.com. A link to subscribe to First Year Project's newsletter is included in today's show notes. The newsletter allows you to get first dibs to episodes and will also begin including more exclusive content. So make sure to subscribe with the link in the show notes. Today's background music is My Night by Chantel Acta. You can find her on SoundCloud.com. Editing, production, and hosting on today's episode were done by myself. Thanks for the love, y'all. Until next time, have a dope week.